Today, we continue our Forbidden Fruit series where we focus on comics and popular characters that are no longer available. They are only accessed through their original editions uh, from, from 30 years ago. There's not even, there's not even digital, digital copies of these available anywhere. So we're going to continue Spider-Man, X-Men uh, characters that, that, that are long gone that you can only get in their original format. We're going to share those with you, but not before we examine two brand new classic collections that have just been re-released in new formats, uh, epic works that we have to discuss with you, and, and including one amazing adaptation uh, that you just have to hear about that, that, that we should have shared long before this. But, but we're going to get to all of that, including revealing all of these forbidden fruits for you on today's observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld and you are listening to another edition of Observations. I am the Rob of Observations. I am your host. I take you on this uh, twice weekly roller coaster all through the comic book landscape, pop culture landscape. It's all the same now. It's all the same. Again, I woke up today to a Love and Thunder trailer. I woke up to the Batman, the Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves Batman is 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 on my all my streaming applications with HBO Max now. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, got a good comic book uh, sitting next to me every single day. So it's all the same. It's all, you know, uh, occurring at the same time. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful world. If you're, if you're a comic book fan, like I have been my entire life. I mean, six, six, seven years old. Really, some of my earliest memories, and they've carried me in through my entire life. Is, is, is of loving comic books and all things comic books and and believe me you believe me when i tell you that anybody my age uh is is blown away by how the culture has embraced and soared uh with 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 comic book uh you know comic book subject superhero material it was around it it existed there were super friends there was stuff like that i've done episodes on the super friends and the international heroes and all the the, the cool stuff that came out of that cartoon and how it grew and expanded and became more, uh, you know, more comic booky over time. But, but man, just all all the stuff that's happening in 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 the space now is uh, is always just going to bring the biggest smile to my face. And you know, comic books, comic book creators. I'm a homer. I am a absolute homer. I don't think their names are known nearly enough. Uh, from Jack Kirby to Jim Starlin. I don't think these guys get enough run. They are the architects. They are the geniuses. There are so many of them uh, running through the comic book industry since the history of the comic book industry, and and uh, and, and and their contributions uh, just should be more celebrated. So I often will, you know, park the car right here in the in the comic book uh, parking lot and 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 take up a space and just uh, speak about it for as long as, as I possibly can, so that you, if in case you don't or aren't aware of some of the attributes of some of these great creators, or you're not as you know familiar with the material, I take great pleasure in sharing that with you guys. Uh, I believe that these are some of the most uh, brilliant uh, visionaries that have walked through 
the history of man. I think comic book people who get it, who understood how to tell potent, powerful, uh, moving, uh, effective storytelling uh, stories with their with their art um, have 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 deeply moved so many other people in the craft. I have met so you know obviously so many people um, who are writing and directing and producing and and starring in films that 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 were inspired by comic books because again I I guess they were just a a secret to so many people but when I was growing up in high school they were still in the 80s in the mid 80s they were still regarded as child's um you know children's material you were childish if you were caught reading one caught again you know I would sneak mine in my my folders or 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 you know occasionally I'd love a comic book so much. I didn't want to leave the house without it. I wanted to have it to glimpse throughout the day, but I would do it again in a folder, uh, in a peachy uh, folder. There was a style folder, and and a, and I would conceal it. That there there was nobody else in my high school that I ever discussed comic books with. That, that 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 I left that behind in like junior high. There was one other guy who I was able to talk about with. That's why comic book shops, I think, became. The time was so right for them to emerge in the early '80s was was because of the 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 clubhouse aspect. We all we all wanted to hang out and talk, and uh, you know the, the, those those experiences really can travel. And, and you created you know friendships and 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 some of the comic stores that had the clerks that would just chase us off. Like you missed out, you missed out on the the great interactions that we were able to supply with each other and also with your store by, 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 by always kind of running us off. Cause I did, there was a couple of bad Apple stores, uh, when I was growing up and I'm and, and as I talk about this, I'm, I'm, you know, reminded of, the, of, of those kind of disappointing experiences along with the positive experiences with, with, with the friendships. And, and of course it was at the comic stores where maybe you'd meet a guy who point you in the direction of going to a comic book show. And then at that comic book show, when you met up, you had that great, again, the, the, the furthering of the clubhouse experience where you walked over to artists and writers and you went to panels together and you shared that love. There's, it's just amazing. And now again, it's the whole world is this. And I enjoy saying this. I repeat it a lot because it makes me happy. I'm, I'm really excited that my kid, will leave the house in a Captain America shirt or a Green Lantern shirt or a Flash shirt or, you know, something comic book oriented because it just, again, the arrival of this moment in time, this period, which I, I never think is going away. I, I, it is here to stay. It is parked so deeply, you know, in our collective uh, psyches now. I just can't think of a time that it won't somehow be in play. They always say, you know, even when the Western went away, it never went away. There was always Westerns. So, so let's, let's figure the same thing is going to happen in the superhero space. But speaking of comic book stores and comic book stuff this week, I went to a comic book store and I came home with two items and they're brandly new, freshly packaged items. And this is where I'm directed with my Rob's rants today. Some of this, uh, the more, more interesting aspects of Rob's rants, which is really kind of, that, that's what this opening is always. It's, it's a bit of ranting by me and now I've officially called it Rob's rants as, uh, <clears throat> today's subject of Rob rants is the two items I brought home. One is an, a beautiful oversized, looks like it's a, you know, maybe, maybe 10 by 12, really handsome hardcover, uh, new, new edition, uh, of, of which there've already been several. I have, you know, many of these and, and, and it really, I feel like there's a guy or people or a committee or, you know, guys and girls who have figured out how badly, how, how much I will, uh, collect whatever they 
you know, the material that they just keep collecting, they'll, they'll bounce between a fresh printing. It's normally going to always be somewhere in the X-Men, in the Daredevil vein, but other stuff like Walt Simonson's Thor can, can sneak in there. And uh, they just keep putting it out in new formats, and I buy it. I just always buy it. I'm a sucker. This baby, what did this bad boy set me, set me back? This, I'm going to lift it up. This set me back. Oh, man, 45 bucks, 45 bucks. Okay, so this collects the material. From Marvel Comics presents uh, 7284 uh, uh, issues 72 to 84. It also collects a story from Uncanny X Men, and finally the giveaway it collects a Wolverine story uh, issue 166. This is Barry Windsor Smith's Wolverine Weapon X hardcover. They have given it a handsome, supersized edition. It, it, it doesn't have a special name. It just says uh, Wolverine Weapon X, Barry Windsor Smith. And this is the uh, extended. This is this puts together all of the serials he ran, eight to ten pages each. In Marvel Comics Presents, it was a big seminal deal. Marvel Comics Presents either came out weekly or biweekly during this time, and it gave you the origin of Wolverine, which was you know not the entire origin, but a certain segment of the origin, the process with which he was given his adamantium claws and that he was in the Weapon X program and that he, you know, first began to, uh, you know, merge with his adamantium claws, adamantium skeleton, uh, the process that they put him, you know, that, that, that they submitted him to to create this Weapon X persona, this Wolverine. And I'm going to tell you, uh, this is some of the most inspired work of Barry Windsor Smith's entire career. It is... Uh, the drawing is beautiful. The faces, and again, I'm I'm a face guy. You 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 draw really interesting faces, really handsome faces, really compelling faces. I'm your guy. I always I always uh, I, I always liked people who had the more interesting faces, and and again, attractive faces. And Barry does both, interesting and attractive. And from the outset of this, when it started appearing, and believe me, the drums were um were were were. The, the the beat of the drum on this stuff was loud because uh they they wanted you to know that it was that it was existing that 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 Barry Windsor Smith who had again if you've listened to my sword and sorcery uh podcast and their identified sword and sorceries you'll you'll see that Barry really came of age on Conan the Barbarian he was hired to do Conan the Barbarian by Stan Lee because Stan didn't want to uh use somebody like a John Buscema who was much more prolific and higher uh, just in higher demand for Marvel. He didn't want to lose the grip that he had on the superhero uh, uh, comics that were coming that were coming out for Marvel at that time. He didn't want to give up his pencil on the Avengers or Fantastic Four, both of which Buscema was doing at the time. Because, again, John Buscema was an ace, uh, powerful, amazing, state-of-the-art illustrator. And, and, and to, to, to take him away to launch Conan was was recorded as historical fact by the man who brought Conan to life at Marvel, Roy Thomas, who was the editor-in-chief under Stan Lee at the time. Uh, that, that was the directive that Stan gave him. You know, you can try it, but you can't give him a, you know, you can't put Conan in the hands of somebody like a John Buscema. So, so Barry Windsor Smith was poking around. He was available. I think it was the perfect marriage at the right time. Barry had previously been seen as doing a lot of Jack Kirby-esque uh looking visuals. Uh, if you look at his Avengers work and the stuff that he was doing early in his career, he would even tell you he was a Kirby knockoff. He loved Kirby. He drew, he drew purposely 
like Jack Kirby, blocky, um, uh, uh, really kind of more stout. The figures were more stout. They were blocky. Um, he, he was really borrowing a lot in terms of storytelling, in terms of, in terms of structure. And it was great. He was cutting his teeth. Lots of people, you know, start out uh, with, with other influences, and, and it's, it's what they do and how they expand. Well, shortly, very quickly on Conan, Barry found this, this newer uh, style that was more... Longer figures, more like a life drawing. He looked like like Bern Hogarth life drawing books, and and uh, uh, Andrew Loomis, and it was just more of uh, he was really applying so much of the anatomical uh, practices that he was clearly going through in expanding the human figure, the human form, both male, female, and adding even more depths of detail. Well, the depths of detail that he brings, uh, you know, almost you know, 18 some years later to this Weapon X story, this serialized Wolverine story. The detail is insane. I, I very much, uh, so so Barry Windsor Smith is the godfather, in my opinion, and I will fight you over this, he is the godfather of the Image Comics style. It's Art Adams kind of underdrawing in structure, but the rendering, the, the cross-hatching that, 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 that we've discussed on the show in so many different episodes. And I have talked extensively when I was growing up, and yes, I did take a couple semesters of different art courses, life drawing in particular. I, I loved going and just having two hours every session to just draw all the different life drawing models we had, whether they were quick studies, 20-minute studies, 90-minute studies, 10-minute studies, um, you know, ink brush studies, pencil studies. I would love watching the figure, you know, twist and contort. And uh, and, and, and it was at, during that time in my studies with the teachers that were that were there at, at, at Fullerton College uh, that, that I learned about, and I've spoken about it before, and I need to preface it because it's something that was taught to me, the feminine line and the, 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 the masculine line. And, and I've, I've openly pondered, like, if they still use those, and I Google them, and, 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 and they are listed. You can find applications for both the feminine line, the masculine line. Now more of, they, they, they've changed it again because everything kind of gets changed in this culture to uh, uh, aggressive lines and to passive lines. And again, a soft brush doing an outline on a figure, that would be more of a soft or back then a, a, a feminine line. Feminine as, we, as, as, was, as was seen, past tense. Pretty soft, and trust me, there's some beautiful brushwork out there. Beautiful brushwork. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the beautiful brushwork that that, that a, a talent uh, has applied in this next comic that I picked up this weekend. But but Barry Windsor Smith was aggressive, chunky, crusty, sharp, twisty. Um, very, uh, 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 lines on top of lines on top of lines, like he was building like a hut. I mean, crosshatch over crosshatch. Um, on top of beautiful, I mean, if you just took the lines away and you saw his underdrawing, it's this beautiful, like I said, very um, uh, uh, steeped in the figure drawing uh, instruction and dynamics of either Andrew Loomis or Bern Hogarth, both of which were seen as the preeminent, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> figure artists. If you go and you, you get into the business you know, life drawing, painting, whatever they'll tell you, grab Andrew Loomis and grab Bern Hogarth, and they've both done multiple uh, 
multiple uh, uh, books, and, and, and that's the stuff that gets recommended to you early on. Editors, I think, believe they should still be recommending those to, to new, new talents. Um, if, if, if you just took the rendering away, that's what you'd have with this Barry Windsor Smith stuff, but, but he puts this very specific style of rendering. It's, it's, it, he, it's, it's something that you can duplicate, and yet under Barry, it always looks very improvised. Like, um, and, and there are times, there are definite um, um, certain kind of familiar strokes and, 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 and hatches that he puts one on top of the other and some patterns, but then you'll turn the page and boom, he'll go absolutely, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a different direction and pile lines on lines on lines, but it's very aggressive. It's from a croquil. It's from a nib, uh, a dip pin. This is not the kind of stuff that you could duplicate on an iPad. I don't believe it. I've seen people try it. This does not look the same. The aggressive, it's, it's a sharp line. It's a, it's a cutting line. It's sometimes it's a crusty line. Um, it, it, it can go from thin to thick very, very uh, quickly. This is what inspired guys like myself and guys like Jim Lee and Wills and Mark Silvestri and everybody and Eric Larson. Um, the Barry Windsor Smith and Frank Miller style of illustration that he really introduced in Red Nails back early 70s on Conan, late 60s, early 70s, and then boom, exploded when he came back into comics in 1983-84 uh, on Machine Man, inking his friend Herb Trimpey, and then doing his own work again. And they actually, again, there's an X-Men issue in here that they reprint that that predates this with uh, Wolverine battling the Reavers, which is stunning. It is, again, you see where so much of us got our influence from. As, and, and seeing these pages reprinted so beautifully, so fine, uh, that the printing on this uh, reproduction is, is amazing. And, and, and it's great. I mean, when they, when they put you know, Wolverine in the middle of the snow up against a pack of rabid wolves where he first gets to exercise his uh, his claws and, and, and just the storytelling and the look inside the bone structure and the, the, the grafting with the adamantium. This is just brilliant. But you know what? Again, this is reprinting work that is, uh, you know, in this case, this work is 32, 33 years old. If you go back to the again the the, the nineteen the uh, nineteen eighty eight issues of you know X Men Wolverine, I mean you, you're you're now going thirty six plus you know years old on this on this on this work, and and that's what I brought home. That's what I favored. This brilliant art in a brand new format that cost me forty five dollars. I mean, is that ten comics? Is that uh, you know is is that uh, is that six? Is that seven? I mean, I, I would rather reroute my, you know, investment into yet another because again, I have I have multiple. I have actually larger editions of this, but they're mixed with other Wolverine stories in a giant omnibus in a giant these these mega edition omnibuses, and then I have the omnibus, and then now I have this standalone. It's like a European album, thin, you know, because it's 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 you know not not too many pages. And it's 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 larger. It's it's just beautiful. I, I love this. I love this presentation. I was so happy to pick this up. But again, it's something. It's a it's it's something from the past, and it is a precursor of something that, you know, a, a, a art and an artist that 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 inspired dozens of other guys to un you know incredible success. Then for for eight dollars, I picked up this amazing 
G.I. Joe 40th Anniversary Special that not only reprints 40th Anniversary Special of the silent issue, the infamous Larry Hama uh, uh, story and breakdowns and beautiful inks by Steve Lealoa, who, um, I mean, this stuff is just utterly fantastic. It, it is it is utterly fantastic. This, this silent issue is an absolute, you know, classic. It is, it is adored. It is celebrated. Um, and, uh, and what they did is on top of just reprinting this and why it's $8 and it's a really nice, nicely, it's a very slick package. They went out and they got 22 artists to recreate page by page. I should tell you and drop I forgot I contributed to this book. I did. I forgot. I didn't know it was... The, the, the day I asked the editor at, at, at IDW if, if it was coming out soon, I, I discovered it, it was already in stores that day. I thought it was coming out spring or summer. I somehow slept on this. But um, all all sorts of different um, artists contributed to this, and, and it was really exciting to be a part and to take each page and recreate it. Um, and, and every page is kind of in a different style. That That was part of the... The thing with with recreating what Larry did, um, it, it, it's a fun endeavor. You can you can you can contrast and compare. Obviously, I'm in a favor of the original. That's the one I fell in love with. The 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 in, entire story, drawn, written, without any dialogue whatsoever. The silent issue, uh, by Larry Hama. But Steve Lealoa is a guy who mastered brush. He was a brush guy. Uh, he pencil inked his own work. He did great X Men issues. He did great. Uh, he did. Uh, Fantastic Spider run on Spider Woman uh, with Chris Claremont, who was writing the X Men at the end. But he has he has a very soft, what they would call a passive, a feminine line. It's super pretty. It's delicate, but it holds. It in, it incorporates a certain style of rendering that is different than kind of the aggressive, very you know, I'll say very aggro lines on the Barry Windsor Smith stuff. But uh, partaking in this book, being part of this recreation with 21 different artists re- replicating 21 different pages uh, and then having it in the same issue where you can go back and forth and you can compare it, uh, it, it. It's really exciting. And and yet, what is the common denominator between these two things? It is that that they are both celebrating older events, older comics. And again, when you go, well, Lifehold, that's you. That's your, your, your nostalgic. Or is it that, that, that some of these great classics just can't get enough due? And... Uh, you know, I just I just found that in looking at everything else that was out this week, nothing really caught me. But the GI Joe recreation, the celebration, the 40th anniversary, really kind of uh, spoke to me. It, I sparked to it, and then of course, uh, you know, the the Barry Windsor Smith is just the, these are amazing. Every page is truly magnificent. But but what you have is I came home with two remnants: one 32 years old, one 40 years old. Uh, of of by, of a bygone era of work that I absolutely love that I want desperately to share with you and uh and and hope that you guys partake in it too these are they, they excite me they're from a different era they're they've got a fresh coat of paint on them you should check them out I I I would highly recommend both of these um the I hope I hope you can get your hands on them before we segue into more of our forbidden fruits I was also going to talk about like like the way that something old is new again or this just it's it's just, it's interesting, you know, seeing anything from my youth viewed viewed through recent eyes. My son was home on spring break. My oldest son, he is a bit of a cinephile. He actually introduced me 
to an app called Letterboxd. Um, it is a, uh, it is, let's see if I spell it correctly. It is L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, Letterboxd. And some of you may be aware of it. He showed it to us last year, last summer. Um, it gives kind of common uh, rankings, fan rankings. It's, 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 I guess in the Rotten Tomatoes kind of world, I guess, but, but you go through and you see where other people, other users, maybe some of your other friends, and you get a database of your own where everyone ranks and recommends different films, different movies. Well, because of this Letterboxd app, he asked me about a um, movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which, you know, you may or may not be aware is, is a movie that came out, um, uh, back in again, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it. it. Came came out in in the 70s, okay. And uh, this is this is a movie that I absolutely adored as a kid, and it was the follow up Steven Spielberg, the incredible Steven Spielberg of Schindler's List, of Saving Private Ryan, of Jurassic Park, of E.T., of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the amazing uh, Close Encounters of the Third. Kind, which was officially released November 16th, 1977. And uh, it was the big follow-up that he had to Jaws. He had, you know, in, in creating the modern-day blockbusters, and, and if this is news to you, uh, I assure you it's historical fact, uh, Jaws, a movie that should not have worked because the robotic shark kept breaking down. There was all sorts of technical difficulties. It went over budget. It was based on a, a best-selling book. It came out in the summer of 1975, and people could not get enough of it. By a young, first-time, you know, um, um, feature blockbuster director, Steven Spielberg, who had toiled in a lot of TV, TV movies, uh, made it, you know, brought audiences this movie about this shark, and 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 you may have seen it with, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfuss, who also yeah, plays a key role in uh, in 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm sorry, <laughs> in Close Encounters, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, the 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 follow-up to the monster success that Jaws became because it was the first time that people waited in line, that there wasn't enough seats, that sellout after sellout after sellout, it was the birth of the modern summer blockbuster, which was then followed up two years later by Star Wars, which took it to all new heights. And then really there was no looking back between 1975's Jaws and 1977 Star Wars, except Close Encounters is a Christmas film. I mean, or it's a, it's a holiday film. It was it was released in the in the winter months in in, in the uh, the Thanksgiving window. But uh, my son, he said, "Hey, Dad, I'd like to see this." And I'm like, "Well, I'd love to show it to you, but I also want to pump the brakes. I'm going to tell you right now because again, the uh, 40th anniversary of this in 2017, uh, they, they they released a new 4K print or a new a new uh, high-end print that they put in theaters. And I took my wife and I think my, I think she was a little bored because again, it's not, you know, it's not Independence Day. It's not, uh, it's not V that there's, there's no lizard creatures. There's no really giant explosions. There's not a lot of destruction. It's very nuanced and it's very, uh, it's very mysterious and, and it builds and it's, it's very much a character study with, with, um, looking how people deal with, with being touched even, even by a fraction by these close encounters. And how it, you know, uh, forges this connection that they can't deny and it kind of haunts them. It really drives two lead characters' um, lives into absolute misery as they will go to great lengths to pursue 
um, finding out more about their own Close Encounters, and then it uncovers a giant government conspiracy. But the big deal about Close Encounters, uh, it is it is uh, it played against type, especially coming a year or or a great deal not a year but a great deal after Star Wars. It it did not it would be seen as a passive movie to Star Wars aggressive movie. Um, if we're, if we're talking art and art lines, because, uh, because Star Wars with its, you know, dog fights, you know, and, and, and the, and the Death Star and, and the lightsaber duels and the, and the, and the blasters and the, you know, uh, uh, that's a much more aggressive movie. There are no laser bolts fired in this giant at the time, very expensive Steven Spielberg special effects production. And, at the end, it, it what what it really celebrates is a peaceful exchange between mankind and you know extraterrestrials, and so I warned my son. I said, "Look, this isn't the kind of movie that you're used to. It doesn't have quick cuts, fast edits, big explosions, and it doesn't have a giant pulsing soundtrack." But he's like, "Dad, I understand it. I'm in. Let's go." Uh, we we went on this ride and we watched this, and it was amazing to see how he reacted to a movie that is so different than anything that the audiences are given today. Nothing, I mean, nothing Marvel and DC gives you even remotely resembles this. Again, it's very nuanced. It takes its time. It does not, um, it, 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 it never feels the need to speed it up. It really wants to deliver the information on its own terms and Spielberg had earned it. He had absolutely earned this success, but what it drove me to was to draw to grab go into my um, drawer upstairs where I have some of my treasury editions and I know that I have my close encounters of the third kind treasury edition from uh, for, for that Marvel published and uh, I think this is uh, yeah they they put this out in the end of seventy seven and if you did not know there was a comic book adapt- adaptation by big time Marvel talents Walt Simons and Klaus Janssen supplied the amazing art the and and, and I, I honestly I, I got to tell you. As far as comic book adaptations go, this is up there as good as any that you will ever encounter. It is, is I mean, this was a golden era of comic book adaptations. Again, we've gone over the Bill Sienkiewicz Dune illustrations and the dedicated Dune podcast that I did about the comic book adaptation that came out um, along with the uh, original um, David Lynch uh, version of Dune. I did that back in November before the new Dune opened. If you want to, uh, any hints as if, if, if this is the first time you're you're hearing about this and you want to look at, track it down, but this is the golden age. I mean, the Howard Chaykin Star Star Wars. Um, you had uh, Ernie Cologne doing Battlestar Galactica. You had uh, you had George Perez and Klaus Janssen doing Logan's Run. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you, you got um, you got Al Williamson, who who's brilliant, amazing, photorealistic artist who came on board and did not only Empire Strikes Back, but he did Return of the Jedi. But I'm telling you, I think forgotten uh, somewhere is this genius. Now they did a magazine size, a super special size, which is more like People Magazine, Us Magazine size, and Newsweek size. And then they did, of course, this Marvel Treasury Edition. And this is the one that I have nearby. And uh, the, uh, I'm going to read you a little of what uh, Archie Goodwin writes here at the end about... He says, "Final encounter." I want to be delicate with this because, boy, this thing is um, this is uh, this has been through wars. This this treasury edition is uh, is is fairly well worn. But um, I'm I'm telling you, the art in here is spectacular. Walt Simonson is is doing his typical amazing camera work. The way he the the, the way that he works foreground, middle ground, background, 
uh, his great dynamic figure drawing gestures and and again his quick cuts his crops he's, he's just he's spectacular and uh and and he was early in his career this is a couple of years before he will take over many years actually five years before he takes over thor and becomes the dynamo that he is but this uh this final it says final encounter last words thoughts and background information on doing the comic book adaptation of close encounter so again this this watching this with my son who who it was great to see him appreciate work by an old master and today i guess that's that's kind of the uh that the, the common denominator so far is is barry windsor smith is uh larry hama steve Leola, and now and now spielberg and and simonson and, and jansen and archie goodwin it says when people pontificate about comics and believe it or not some people do there's often a good deal of cinematic technique and elaborate comparisons are made between the work of a comic book artist and that of a film director. It gets a bit heady at times, but nonetheless, it, nonetheless, it's still interesting because there's more than a small amount of truth in it. Flip through the pages of this book and you'll find jump cuts, reaction shots, fade outs, a veritable catalog of filmmaking expertise. However, as editor and writer of this adaptation of Steven Spielberg's movie blockbuster, the thing I found most interesting was the difference between comics and film. To begin with, we don't have any sound. We do have narrative captions, dialogue, balloons, sound effects. You know, crack them, whoop, whoop. But for some movies, that'd be enough. For some movies, that wouldn't even, that would be even a blessing. But for Close Encounters, it's a major loss. No amount of onomatopoeia, uh, he said, that's Webster's Dictionary for crack, wham, whoop, whoop, can take the place of Dolby stereo systems registering the sound of a UFO passing overhead. And all the adjectives I can shake out of my head uh, can't compare with John Williams' beautifully integrated musical score when it comes to the awe and wonder. Fortunately, we had two very fine illustrators on this project, Walt Simonson, who paced and laid out the adaptation in pencil form, and Klaus Jansen, whose ability with brush, pen, and ink brought it all to a richly detailed finish, though he may have OD'd forever on Starry Skies in the process. Walter Simonson, a graduate of Rhode Island School of Design and Academy of Comic Book Arts Award winner came up with the idea of varying the page size and panel size according to the impact desired and actually um, letting some drawings run off the page in peak scenes, giving us a visual equivalent of the soundtrack's dramatic punch. Klaus, who entered the field as an apprentice to top illustrator Dick Giordano, and who in the last five years has built up a large fan following and formidable professional reputation, devised a wide range of line rendering techniques to simulate the film's elaborate reflected light effects and left the entire office speechless with the dazzling lines and finishes that he brought to Walt's impressive version of the mothership. In deciding what scenes to include or drop, expand or condense, we were guided by what seemed to work best in terms of visual dramatics and yet felt and still conveyed the overall intent and feeling of the original within the limited number of pages available to us. Comic book visuals generally revolve around key, mo key movements or key dramatics. Catching an, act, catching an action or emotion at its very peak at 24 frames per second as opposed to a comic book's 6 or 7 frames per page. Films can show many movements and dramatic shadings in an incredible short amount of time. A movie screen is also huge, an image 20 feet or taller that can convey a flicker of emotion or the subtlest of movements without difficulty. On the other hand, movies, being photographs, project an image of realism and require a more realistic logic in their staging than comics which are more stylized. For instance, Spielberg, in collaboration with Richard Dreyfuss, intensity as an actor, is able to convey a large amount about Roy Neary, his warmth, his humor, his relationship with his family in the very short scenes that introduce him. Comic books need more time. We went back to the original script and used a longer version of that same scene 
that the extra panels and what happens in that helm help us establish familiarity with the character and build interest in him. Conversely, in handling another scene, the comics version is far shorter. In the movie, when Roy and Jillian are driving through the evacuated area and spot the apparently dead animals, we see them reassure each other that it is all a fake and then pause and then simultaneously begin to pull their gas masks from their bag and rapidly and awkwardly put them on. It plays well, it gets a good laugh, but to handle it exactly that way in the comic book would have been almost an entire page and because it would be stretched out at greater length then the importance of the joke justified it would not have been as funny. Instead, Walt managed to do it just in two small panels, an uneasy exchange of glances, and boom, the masks are on, the very abruptness makes the joke work. It also made my job simple. No dialogue was necessary. Probably the best two panels that I wrote. Of course, all the reasons he writes for differences between comic and film aren't quite so esoteric. Close Encounters was produced in secrecy, and that secrecy was tightly maintained until its release, and even for a time after that, if you've seen the film, it becomes understandable too much advanced publicity might have undercut its power and emotional impact. To say nothing of leaving the door open for quickly imita- qu- quickie imitations, which Spielberg is on record as having feared. That same secrecy affected us as well. The book, begun some time before the movie opened, had to be done without photographic reference, working only from a shooting script and several viewings of the promotional film clips. We also were committed to not showing the aliens in any detail. Another restriction, one fairly standard with comic book adaptations of movies, was that we do not use likenesses of the actors at all. After Close Encounters was released and Walt, Klaus, and I saw it, we were able to go back and make adjustments in the material. And fortunately, for our already strained printing schedule, no major changes were necessary. Um, so that's kind of a breakdown. Andy thanks some other people for helping bring it to life. But that's the real difficulty that these guys would... I, I was telling my son as I was looking... as He was very impressed, actually, with this rendition again Walt Simons and Klaus Jansen two master visualists okay so the comic book adaptation again because there's always a good comic book in this there's always a good comic book in there somewhere in something somewhere so so seeing the movie and and, and watching it and and again that the third act of the film is when Spielberg really shows off he's building up to a giant you know special effects spectacle and the immediate reaction to the almost seemingly death star size of the mothership really caught my, I, I watched as it caught a 20-year-old um, young man off guard. Whoa, wow. I mean, they had teased you with the scout ships, but then boom, you get this giant, I mean, it, it feels planet size as it comes up behind Devil's Peak, um, the, the, the giant mountain kind of structure that, 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 that drives so much of the imagery in the direction of this film. I mean, uh, just, just, just looking at this, this art and this storytelling—it's amazing. You'll never be distracted in the comic book. It's, it's, it's. You know, Walt's great with faces. The fact that there's no photographic um, uh, matches, that it doesn't look like Dreyfus or Terry Gar, um, it, 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 it actually doesn't bother me in the least. It is a beautiful, beautiful work. If you can find it in any form, again, there was a Marvel special edition magazine, and then this giant treasury-sized edition. But it's always—I always feel bad for these guys. No matter if it was the aforementioned uh, Bill Sienkiewicz on Dune or Al Williamson on Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back or Walt Simonson here or Howard Shaken early in Star Wars, what they are given, what they are able to glance, you know, a lot of the times you get these packets and and, and especially with Star Wars, I remember uh, the, the licensor, the, 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 the person who was working between Marvel and Star Wars or Lucasfilm was supplying just some daily... You know, still, still photography of like you know Harrison Ford at the bar with Greedo, or you know just different. There, there's a there's a random 
you know, grouping of fo photographs that you're able to access as you um, try to replicate. Even though you can't replicate the likenesses, you can replicate, you know, what's going on. They just couldn't make them look like the actors in this. And, and that only changed in recent years where there were significant um, applications put into the contracts that the, the actors, for the most part, were the ones who always opposed. They didn't want to have their likenesses in comics. It, it cheapened them. But uh, over time, with the importance of these, this, this material, they've kind of given up on that fact and realized that for all of the acclaim and the money and the success that these roles are going to give them, that, that part of signing over their likeness on an action figure, you know, because they didn't want them, they didn't want their likeness on toys, in comics, in coloring books, uh, you know, because again, it, it was a form of cheapening their, you know, their appeal. If you can buy this actor off the, you know, Racket target. It was it was thought of that he was less appealing here. It was it was kind of you know it was just a predominating um, thought of that age. I don't think it was ever really truly based in anything factual or if there if there was if there was some like hey man this Moses toy looked just like Charlton Heston and it affected his career. There's nothing like that that I'm aware of. But the bottom line is you know again I think this 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 book is better for the um, versions of Roy and Barry and everyone. Um, not being off model and, and, and for letting Walt and, and Klaus just go. But again, movie adaptations, a, a bygone era again. So, 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 so today our little trip to the comic store, our trip down comic book memory lane has yielded us the master works of Barry Windsor Smith and his weapon X worth Larry Hama and his uh, 40th anniversary of the silent interlude snake eyes storm shadow story inked by beautifully by Stephen Lealoa. And in the same issue artist of which I was 21 of them, each join in and recreate it, and it's fun. And then Walt Simons and Klaus Janssen gave you this amazing Close Encounters Treasury Edition that honestly I would have probably overlooked had not my son wanted to partake. And again, I was so, I know when he's disappointed or when he's, you know, and trust me, I've had to carefully curate. When he started seeing Tarantino movies in his mid-teens, he asked me if there was some other stuff that I should, you know, I, I would share with him. And that's when I saw the opportunity to put him on a, Paul Thomas Anderson path, which I did, and it was fun. And so, uh, you know, from from there, he saw Boogie Nights, and then, you know, again, if he if he got into, you know, Tom Cruise, I would expose him to the the you know to to uh, Eyes Wide Shut, to Magnolia, to to uh, you know Collateral. It's 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 really fun that there is a really tight window with which to to thread the needles on all of these subjects, and and I enjoy doing it so much, especially when it comes out with a greater appreciation of comic books as it did here with the close encounters and me grabbing it and able to share it with him and, 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 and being reminded that there is a great piece of art that you may or may not know about. And with that in mind, I'm about to segue into this edition, our latest edition of Forbidden Fruits. So what we keep doing with our Forbidden Fruits segment that this is uh, maybe the third or the fourth time that we've gone down this path is I share with you guys uh, books that are out of print that you can't get collected in, in the way that I just got a 40th anniversary G.I. Joe of a classic and in, in the way that I just got this handsome album uh, hardcover re re reproduction of, of, of a genius work celebrated work by, by Barry Windsor Smith. Um, I, I've shared with you guys comics, uh, Micronauts by Michael Golden, um, uh, uh, Logan's Run, the, the film adaptation, I've already alluded to it, has never been reprinted here in the United States, despite being some of the most amazing uh, work of, of, of George Perez and, and Klaus Janssen's early career. 
and and it, it is such I, I I would maintain like the close encounters that Logan's run and close encounters uh, are as good as the films are they're brilliant they're amazing pieces of art but there are so many different collected works and again go back and look at anything anything labeled uh, forbidden fruits will take you down a path there was last time I took you down a, a, a path with X-Men teamed up with the Micronauts outside of the Micronauts own stellar amazing work that was uh, highlighted by the best, some of the best art ever and stories ever committed to comic books in the first 12 issues by Bill Mantlo and Michael Golden. They then were so popular, they teamed up with the X-Men, but you can't get those books because the rights to the X-Men are, are gone. I mean, the rights to the Micronauts are not available to Marvel anymore. So there's no way to reprint those four issues that are so masterfully written by not only Bill Mantlo, who did Micronauts, but Chris Claremont, who wrote X-Men, they both wrote them. Again, that's the most recent edition that I shared that with you. Well, today, it hits a little closer to home because in 1996, I was able to, as part of the Heroes Reborn uh, uh, deal and, and an event that was going on, Marvel and Extreme, as well as Marvel and Wildstorm with Jim, he did his own uh, uh, versions, and we can cover those on another uh, another time. But I really want to talk to you guys about books that you, that unless you buy these, from a back issue vendor, these will not be available to you. I won't be able to cover all of our crossovers today, but when we sat down to discuss, Marvel basically said, take your pick. You know, we're doing this giant contract with you with Captain America and Avengers, but there's also a different application that Jim and I negotiated into this deal, which was we would like to have our characters team with your characters because we're just fun fans. And the fact that we went away and created characters like Youngblood, of course, being the guy who created Youngblood, I wanted to team with my Marvel creations, X-Force. The X-Force pantheon of characters, Cable, Deadpool, Domino, who absolutely do not exist on any in any way, shape, or form without me creating those characters. I wanted them to team up with Youngblood, who absolutely do not exist in any way, shape, or form without me. And I, you know, had control of Youngblood and, and, and Profit, and we extended it, um, so, so to, to, to get a, a, a wide variety of team-ups. And Jim did the same with his Wildstorm catalog. And the the one that I knew had to be done that uh, was kind of the the treat, the reward, the um, just, I, I don't know exa exactly how to describe it, but I really wanted to pay back some of the guys who I had worked with uh, for many years. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, I hesitate to say loyal. I hesitate to say loyalty or loyal. I'll use it, but I want to get, kind of preface how I view it because um, d during the startup of Image Comics, some of the guys that started their own studios, what we would hear back at our studio at Extreme all the time was some of these guys were not getting paid nearly the exact amount or same amount or even in the ballpark. I mean, it wasn't like in some in some cases I was paying 200 times more than what some of these guys were pulling down into their studios. And that's all well and good. That's their choice. If you went and 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 and, and willfully uh, participated in that, and the guy who ran that studio paid you um, a, a cheaper rate, then then that's that's their business. But it there was some resentment with the other guys because they were like, "You're overpaying. You're overpaying." I'm like, "I'm not. I'm 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 being generous. I want to be generous. I, I feel like I'm, you know, I hit the jackpot with my career. I'm 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 you know making millions of dollars in my young twenties." And the least I could do is, is give it back to these guys. Well, what we would hear from other sources is that, you know, 
when they would think about maybe seeking other deals, not just myself, but at Marvel or DC or whatever, to the, the these other younger talents, the other studios. So that's specifically what I'm speaking of is the younger talents, the younger studios. When they would express this, they would say, hey, you need, you need to be loyal to me. You need to be loyal to me. Whoever was running the other rival studios would say this. You know, you need to really consider your loyalty, your loyalty. I told my guys, you're never going to hear that come out of my mouth, and 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 they're not going to tell you that. Um, I mean, I mean, they're going to tell you they didn't hear that. They're going to confirm this, because I said it, I followed it by saying, you know, under that thought, I would have never left Marvel. I would have felt loyal to Bob Harris, my editor, and or Marvel, the label, for opening that opportunity. But I believe opportunity opportunities you thank the people who open them but that that opportunity can turn to another opportunity and there's no sense in getting bogged down by some misguided loyalty i i said i can't sit here and tell you don't do something else out of loyalty to me or the studio because i left marvel behind i by definition i was not loyal okay in the in the tradition that this this world was being pushed around i was not loyal because i went off and at my peak with x-force and transforming new mutants and with cable and deadpool and domino i went and, and, and sought more opportunities to give you youngblood and brigade and profit and bloodstrike and glory and so so i felt like it would be disingenuous for me to invoke the loyalty word and now some 30 plus years later i'm going to say that that the reason that i picked some of these crossovers was i wanted to repay kind of the unspoken loyalty that i was shown by two of the earliest guys that i was able to sign at my studio and that is Marat Michaels and Dan Frega and they were really the driving force behind why on my list because we had to submit like I, I said I want X-Force and Youngblood obviously let's see I want um, Cable and Profit uh, I want I want Bad Rock and Wolverine because I want a Wolverine crossover and then of course we had to do Spider-Man in some capacity and it was seen that Spider-Man would team up the best with our fun-loving teenage hero Bad Rock Okay, my, my, my fun-loving teenage boy of stone would be a great ideal team-up with with uh, with Spider-Man, who was obviously not only infinitely popular, but super popular with my crew. And, 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 and so we would split this up into two issues. Marat would do Spider-Man Bad Rock 1A, and Dan Frago would do Spider-Man Bad Rock 1B. And before I go any further, yes, I highly, absolutely recommend these stories. It's, I mean, Venom is the chief bad guy in here, but he is not alone. You, you, you see Green Goblin and Vulture and Hobgoblin and, 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 and Carnage is on the cover of, of one of these. Um, now, Dan was much more impacted by Todd McFarlane's work, and you can see more of that. Todd, uh, Marat knew of the potency of Todd's Spider-Man, but I had known Marat since he was a kid, and he loved John Byrne's Spider-Man and Steve Ditko's Spider-Man and Paul Smith's Spider-Man, and so he was bringing a greater, I think, array of uh, of, of influences to the way he wanted to present Spider-Man. But the bottom line is, these guys were so excited that we were going to get Spider-Man and team up, team him up with Badrock, and there was no one who had more passion uh, to bring to the table than these two young guys. And really, uh, Dan and Marat were the two original. Guys, Marat was my, you know, number one guy. Started off as an assistant, coming up really doing kind of just basic assistant work. You know, he would uh, transfer some of my layouts by blowing them up on a Xerox machine and then lightboarding the structure of those layouts so that I could go in and pencil and refine and ink. And then he would 
you know, ink backgrounds. He would fill in black areas on the page. He would rule the borders with a certain pen thickness. I mean, he would make FedEx runs. He was he he then grew into this really amazing penciler artist, you know, that that that, that did so much work for Extreme and and Murat was affable and he was a great personality and and he was somebody you wanted on your team because he was um he 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 he, he his enthusiasm was effusive, and because of Marat um, convincing me that, I, that, that, that there's this kid—I don't know how Dan Frega—that that's up to him to tell you. I, I know he's got the story. I don't want to mess it up, but somehow he had gotten my number, and he and he phoned the studio often, and I was entertained by Dan. And then he came down for a visit, and I was semi annoyed by him just because I had a lot in my plate. It wasn't personal. Dan, uh, both Dan Marat, great-looking young men. I mean, they're, they're like. They, they they could have been models in their other life, but they both want to do comic books. Um, they, they, they were super outgoing, fun guys. They, they were funny, but I'm desperately trying to enact my own dreams at the time and didn't really have time because Dan was even more curious than Marat was. And I had, had uh, probably by that time six years of knowing Marat to build that relationship. And Dan is swooping in, but, but the reason I'm telling you this is Marat's like, you should give him a chance. You should give him a chance. We should have him into the studio, you know, cut the teeth. Um, and, and, and so again, we, we welcomed Dan in. He, he worked some odd jobs before we could find a dedicated uh, assignment for him because his work needed to grow and he did it on his own. He grew his pages with samples and more drawings. And eventually when he did blood strike number one, it was, I used a method that somebody like a Keith Giffen was using at the time of providing layouts I mean, if I could provide layouts for Mike Mignola on an issue of X-Force, I could provide layouts for a brand new guy like a Dan Frago or, you know, some of the many other talents that came through. So so Dan came after Marat and 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 a lot of it was Marat convincing me to, to bring Dan into the fold. So it was a great way to pay them back because they both loved, so much loved Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Mary Jane. And so I'm flipping through this right now and who did we get to write it? We got... Dan Jurgens, who was currently at the time that we hired him writing Spider-Man for Marvel. So Dan, who I had been in constant talks with, uh, was, was, um, uh, I think, I think Dan was instrumental in int- introducing Ben Riley and revisiting the Sone Clogger, <laughs> the Sone Clogger. Yeah. The, the clone saga. And Dan was definitely, um, an integral part of everything that was going on in the Spider-Man office at the time. So I extended to Dan. I said, Dan, would you like to jump on board and um, contribute? And Dan was very generous in saying, Rob, I'd love to. And again, I mean, I, I, I would pay a great wage for his, 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 uh, his contribution, but it was great. It really made it feel like even more, um, you know, legit that Dan uh, Jurgens was writing our mutual crossover story. So Dan is the writer of both uh, Spider-Man, Bad Rock 1A and Spider-Man Bad Rock 1B both came out, you know, um, uh, uh, a couple months apart from each other. But uh, man, these are great, fun comics. And, and and lo and behold, you know, Bad Rock is is battling the Rhino in the middle of the issue. And, and Spider-Man, Peter Parker transforms into Spider-Man and he jumps into action. And it's Spider-Man and, and, and Bad Rock battling the Rhino. And, and then they take him out. And then lo and behold, before the issue is over, Venom attacks. Yes, Venom in an extreme comic. These are published by Extreme Studios, not Marvel Comics. By, by, they are Extreme Studios productions published through Maximum Press. 
And uh, this has, I, I forgot this, these occurred after I left Image Comics. And, and one of the things that the head of Diamond Distribution, um, um, Steve Jeppy, allowed was for me to immediately shift from Image, who was actually unfortunately trying to stop me at the time and shifting me immediately to maximum press. Now, part of it, you'd think he's got a good business head. He, he knows that a couple hundred thousand units is not something he wants to table in some battle with image. Who's having a grudge match because I left. They, that he looked and said, these, these should be out there. We should be able to collect on this. And I'm going to honor Rob's agreement that he literally, because these are produced by him, that he literally just changed the, the title from Image Comics to Maximum Press, which we did, and that's why we were able to get these to you. But this book is a romp in these last five pages with, um I mean, so you get Rhino, you get Bad Rock, you got Peter Parker, you got Mary Jane right at the outset, right at, this, um, at the start as Dan sets this up, and then uh, they take out Rhino, and then Venom arrives, and it sets it up brilliantly. Marat's issue is great. His covers are great. These books, if you can hunt them all down, I did a cover uh, Marat did a cover. Dan Frege did a cover. Stephen Platt did a cover. I'm looking at it right now. Stephen Platt did a Spider-Man Bad Rock Venom cover on Spider-Man 1B. So, yes, Forbidden Fruit, you're never going to see these. I no longer have a contract with Marvel to reprint these. Um, it, when Marvel was being purchased by Disney, and I've shared this with you guys and the other Forbidden Fruits, just to bring you up, up to date in case you haven't heard those, uh, back in 2010, so a full 12 years ago, they said, no, Rob, we do not share, we do not um, team up with other characters before. And I mentioned earlier, in the last several years, if you've watched Batman party down with everybody, he, the the, the Power Rangers, you know, the the, the Turtles, um, he's always, you know, teaming. He, he, Batman and Snake Eyes are, are, are in a comic together. But, but Spider-Man and the X-Men are no longer shared. Disney does not expand. They do not bring you into their you know, their, their arena because they feel like their value is their value. And the minute that they have to start splitting it with you, they're, they're at a net loss. So they, true to their word, when I was trying to get a Deadpool, um, Youngblood crossover or an X-Force Youngblood crossover in 2010, I was told, no, that is not going to happen. We don't share, um, characters anymore. And the best way to find out if that was a personal or B standard practice is wait 12 years. And you'll find that they didn't with, they did it with no one that they were absolutely true to their word. That is business practice and not, you know, personal. It's not personal agenda. They do not, you know, share in licensing because they don't want to figure out what the other value is. They just want to have their values and, and keep those values to themselves. So these comics exist out there in collections online. You can grab them. The second issue by Dan Frege is equally as exciting. Uh, it opens up uh, right where the, the, the one a left off with Dan, uh, 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 showing Venom standing over the fallen bodies of both Bad Rock and Venom and then Carnage crashes it and you've got a couple of pages of them taking out Carnage and then Mysterio and then Green Goblin and Hobgoblin and then Vulture and it is an all-out romp and of course much of what was being manipulated we find out is by Mysterio which is why you got all these great uh, indulgences. And I'm sure that Dan was thrilled as he was able to um, convince Dan Jurgens. Dan Frego was thrilled that Dan, Jer was, thrilled that Dan Jurgens was able to, uh, you know, fit in Venom and Carnage and Green Goblin and Hobgoblin and Mysterio and Vulture. And Dan really got to do, like, the who's who of, of the Spider-Man um, uh 
you know, pantheon of villains in between uh, Marat's very, uh, Marat got some amazing uh, opportunities for Spider-Man and Badrock to team up to battle big splashy images, um, great shots of Mary Jane and Peter Parker. Um, I mean, these books are beautiful. They're, they're, both books are stunning. There's tons of detail because that was these guys' middle name was was detail and renderings and aggressive lines and the inkers on both projects between Larry Stucker and I believe Norm Ratman and uh, th- these are just the inks are, are are just crisp and clean and beautiful and there's great color and I I love these books and I would love nothing more than to reprint them and give them to you but they are indeed I need a sound effect forbidden fruit <laughs> they are forbidden fruits so if you can get your hands. I mean, and looking through them, I get even more excited. Now, here, here's the funny part. There is one country, in one country, I'm holding it right now, it's a square bound, like Dark Knight volume. In Deutschland, this it says on the cover, in Deutschland, we printed the Spider-Man Bad Rock team-up and the Prophet Cable team-up. We we did them double. So you get, it's, it's, it's four giant-sized issues uh, put together in a double volume. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and there's interviews and profiles. And, and so, so this segues into, and on the back it says extreme Marvel comics, but again, this is from Deutschland. And I think maybe Brazil, maybe a couple other countries we were able to pull this off at the time because we were able to use them as part of our foreign licensing agreements. When you would do a comic, of course, part of the contract that we had during that time was that we could then reprint it. Now, what I never did was create an all encompassing trade paperback because there just didn't seem to be a demand for that time, and I wasn't as forward-thinking as I should have been in anticipating that, but we would never be able to reprint it either. I mean, the, the, those exist. I believe there's a Wildcats X-Men one, um, and and it's it's it was one and done, and you can't reprint it again, because again, these are forbidden fruits. They're out of the deals have expired. The ability to uh, reprint these is is non-existent. So, so Profit Cable... Given my love of both characters and the fact that I created both characters, I put Prophet Cable in in its in his own adventure, of which I was the uh, writer and the artist, and uh, uh, was was able to build out this amazing fun adventure that involved Kang the Conqueror, no less Kang the Conqueror, who was one of my favorite villains of all space and time. If you've listened to this podcast, I think I have a dedicated Kang the Conqueror. You can go through the Rob Observations catalog, go through your library. The dedi- There is a Kang the Conqueror like entire episode because I love this villain so much. He's a time traveler. He's a time lord. So between Cable being a time traveler and Prophet being a time traveler, it was perfect to select Kang as the bad guy. Um, and there's a henchman, a, a uh, one of Prophet's villains named Crypt, who's also featured. But the major baddie uh, is 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 uh, is Kang the Conqueror. And of course, uh, I split the chores on this one with a gentleman named Mark Pajarillo, who is extremely talented. But I made sure that when it came to that he did the setup, uh, and 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 then when it came down for cable and Kirby and profit to throw down that I was there in glorious fashion. And, and it, 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 it I gotta be honest. No, so, so having Josh Brolin, having been cable in Deadpool two, um, which you haven't seen what's wrong with you. You got to see that Josh Brolin is fantastic as cable. And he told me how much like that role meant for him to play and how much his phone was ringing off the hook after Deadpool to, to not, he even spe- specified like Thanos was great. He's glad he was a part of it. But, but when, 
other agencies, producers, directors, the studio heads saw him and how he portrayed himself as Cable again. His like his phone blew up. But now, as you guys are well aware, Jake Gyllenhaal has signed on to play John Prophet. So I I happen to see when I look at these covers and I see these cover images and these big faces, I see Josh Brolin and Jake Gyllenhaal. So so when it came down for Josh and Jake to throw down, I was most definitely going to be the guy that delivered that to you in the most spectacular fashion possible. And then um, in both. Uh, Profit One, uh, Profit Cable uh, One, and uh, let's see, is the other one called Cable Profit? I think it is. That's how we switched it up on this one. Instead of a one A and one B, we went Cable Profit and Profit Cable. Or no, they're both. They're both. Are they both Profit Cable? <laughs> so, so um, in in both of these, we split them up and uh, split up the art chores. I did the back end of both jobs and. Again, these are really fun watching characters that I created, both Cable. So in this instance, it wasn't just Marvel characters. Like in Spider-Man and Bad Rock, obviously it's Stanley, Steve Ditko's Spider-Man, you know, with my Bad Rock. But in in Profit, you know, Cable, it's like I was mentioning with Youngblood X-Force, which we won't get to today, but we will in a future episode, as there are so much more forbidden fruit to share with you. But if you want to buy and participate in um, in Profit, in, in, in Profit Cable, you should, again, go seek them out. They aren't going to be reprinted anytime soon. Um, not ruling it out for some time in the very far future. It's nothing, you know, that's even remotely on the table at this at this time. But, but again, I, I, I wrote the stories. Um, I, I, I put the art teams together, uh, created the entire concept, the villains, Kang the Conqueror, Cable, Profit, seeing my characters, Cable, Profit, team up against my favorite Marvel Avengers villain, Kang the Conqueror, is so ridiculously exciting. And um, I, I recommend these to you. If you can get them, get them. Again, they're not available digitally. That You're going to have to go and get these as back issues, but that's what the Forbidden Fruits are always about. They're always about obtaining these as back issues. So Spider-Man, Bad Rock, 1A, 1B, and Profit Cable are um, really fun comics that I highly recommend. They, they, they move, they have action, they're aggressive, they have, again, tons of detail, modern line work. I'm looking at these spreads that I did of Cable and Profit throwing down with each other and all of the juice and the line work and the rendering. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about when I when I tell you that Barry Windsor Smith was really um, kind of our guiding light in, in, in what we were able to... I mean, there are so many double-page spreads. I have three double-page spreads uh, that, that I drew... Um, in, in, in Cable Profit, and I mean, I juice those faces up. Big action, big guns, uh, really, really fun stories. I hope you guys can, tra- can track the, these down. That's today's. So, so here are Marvel stories produced by Extreme Studios that are off the market, that are absolutely 100% not coming back into reprinted form anytime soon. They are the personification of forbidden fruit. I hope very much that you can obtain these in the very near future. That's why we bring you the Forbidden Fruits. Again, all sorts of great covers. I did a cover on uh, Spider-Man Bad Rock, uh, Marat, Dan Frega, Stephen Platt. These are great. If there's others, I'm not aware of it, but there could be uh, on Profit and um, Cable. I did covers. Mark Pajarillo did covers. Uh, Again, have have a fun time. If this is up your boat and you want to have Marvel characters that you haven't yet you know, participated in, you should order these books by all means. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun sharing Forbidden Fruit and going through kind of this weekend's comic book uh, 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 assortment that I brought home from the store that also led me into sharing this amazing Close Encounters Treasury Edition that you should absolutely check out if you possibly can. This is 
the time of the show at the end when we, when, when we wrap up the show is when I share all of the different reviews that you guys give us across the different platforms. We appreciate it so very much when you give us a positive review, when you give us five stars, when you spread the word, it helps, um, our positioning on the platform, our, our, uh, our, our, you know, awareness. And I cannot thank you enough. And one of the ways that I show you my appreciation is I, I, re, I review, I read your, uh, reviews today. We're going to read a couple of reviews. This is from Foose Main, F-O-O-S-E-M-A-N-E. And uh, this, is a, this is a really nice one. He gave us five stars. He says, shoulder pads of happiness and a pouch full of enthusiasm. That's the title of his review. All five stars here. He says, so my work, I'm sorry. So my history with Rob's work is a bit of a weird one. I'm a 90s kid who was a bit too young for comics when they were coming out new in spite of my best attempts to still read them LOL. But I was a huge fan of the X-Men TV series and all related properties. Around 10 years ago, I got back into comics in the worst possible way, the Trash Talk YouTube series and websites, and he puts in parentheses, of which Rob is always a lightning rod for. After running my course with all those mean-spirited mouthpieces, I found myself with an interest in teaching myself illustration during the pandemic. I'm an artist, though pencil and paintings were my primary media up until that point. That launched me back into a love of comics and comic book characters. I stumbled upon Rob's podcast at work one day. As listening to comic book podcast satiates my need to read and draw sometimes when I am unable to. I have to say his enthusiasm is, all caps, contagious. He talks about his love of comics and drawing with a passion and excitement that always lifts my spirits, makes my work day easier, and gives me names of characters, writers, and artists to look into. So keep up the great work, boss, and know that you gained at least one fan as a direct result of your haters, LOL. I love that. I love this. Fusmane, you just made my day. Thank you. I could not, I, I cannot even begin to tell you how tickled I am. Yeah, I know. I, I am absolutely, uh, some of these guys, they just can't lay off. Uh, the life out. They, they, they love to, they obsess about me and, 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 and I'm someday we'll do a, a, like it's too indulgent, but it is so funny to talk about the way that some of these, um, uh, guys are, are, are super like, it's almost an unhealthy obsession. And it's almost as if they, they, they had heard about this guy named Rob Liefeld and, and, and that, that, that he had suffered some great demise and they can't believe, wait, what he's, he's, he's never stopped. He's been working this entire time. It's very strange. Fusmane. Thank you for that great review. Thank you for your, the, the thing that touched me the most is that it brightens your day. And that's, I, I, I swear to you, uh, one of the reasons that I sidle up to this mic still to this day, uh, is, is cause I love sharing this stuff with you guys. And I, and I have heard from you directly. It shows from these reviews like you do, um, how, how much you, you guys respond to it and appreciate it. And, and I just cannot say thank you enough. So thank you again for that great review. Foose main F O. O-S-E-M-A-N-E. Thank you. Hey, you guys, I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. The full name, Blue Check, tells you it's really me. I love talking to you guys. I've been, I mean, all the time, talking back and forth, comments, mentions. I love it. Please reach out, talk to me. I enjoy uh, just our our, our, our chats and, and our interactions so much. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. And that also has a Blue Check. And I love reading your comments. Your DMs, your messages, I they all reach me. I, I I try and either respond with emojis or 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 love signs, you know, hearts, um, responses in in some way. I really I truly appreciate all the ways that we talk on Facebook. This page, this podcast, Rob's Observations with Rob 
Liefeld has a dedicated page on Facebook. Look it up. Raw Observations with Rob Liefeld. Like it. Uh, share share a message, uh, a comment with me. I'll make sure and read it and get back to you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some feedback in some way. Um, I just, I'm all over Facebook. I have my own personal page. I have uh, the Rob Liefeld Extreme Studios. No, it's Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group is the most current group that I'm a part of. So you should check that out. There's a, I mean, just the best. I, I have such a, 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 a fun time with all of the members in the Rob Liefeld Extreme Group. Uh, I, I hope you guys uh, are able to get over there and check Check that out, and, and we can just keep this dialogue going. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I appreciate you so much. I, I, I am um, just uh, hope that you are doing well. This is the time of the show when we speak directly to our, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, and we commit to each other, as I'm going to do to you, that I'm going to eat fun and good food, burgers, fries, um, um, pastrami sandwiches, uh, uh, sausage, you know, uh, brats, um, um, uh, pizza, uh, and, and, and if, and if sushi is your thing and, and pokey and all the healthy stuff and kale, have at it, man. Enjoy your food, your, your, your drink, your experiences, your streaming, your movies, your comic books, your books, your relationships with others, your family, your friends. I just wish you all the very best. Get the restaurant relaxation that you need. Uh, cause that's really what it all comes down to. That's what it's important in life. And we are just beginning to emerge from the craziest period that I have lived through in my entire lifetime. And so are you. So fist bump through the mic right back at you guys. Hope that you are doing well. Please come back and visit circle all the way back and see me because we will talk again real soon. 